Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. Indie Game Business has one of the longest-running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy. That guy way over there, that is Mr. J. Powell. And we have Michael Brown in the middle from Vicarious PR. And this is Indie Game Business. How's it going? Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. I'm just sitting here admiring our, our new setup. I thought you were because admiring my purple hair. You should dye your hair purple, beautiful. Jay. I have uh, considered on several occasions, you know, oh, yeah, look at this. It is popping up now. Yeah, I see yeah. it. Uh, yeah, I've considered dyeing my hair at certain occasions, and then I'm like, that's a lot of effort. That might, you know, not ever actually really happen because that would require me doing stuff. I think I'm shooting over too much here. I'm kidding. Let's see. There we go. All right. So, hey, um, welcome, Michael. Uh, <laughs> this is Michael Brown, CEO of Vicarious Game PR. Uh, one of the most frequent things that we hear is that any devs want to learn more about PR and marketing, and so... You know, we called on Michael to to help us get through all that sort of stuff. So, hey, man, welcome, Michael. Thank you. It's fun how, how is sunny Atlanta today? It's raining. Yeah, it's, here. Yeah, it's nasty and cold. It feels, uh, like, it feels like the old country. Oh, uh, does it make you, make you feel like home? Uh, so let's let's start. I want to hear how you actually got into this industry. And then walk us through, you know, your career and what, what's led you to Vicarious. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a long and windy road. Um, so first I was a gamer all my life. Um, and I always found games to be, um, I always was a big believer in games have a, a really big power to change and help people's lives um, in multiple different ways. Um, and so loved them when I was a teenager, um, but kind of went into realtor, selling houses, that kind of thing, which was a job. Um, and then I decided a couple of years after that, I decided I wanted to do something I really enjoyed and I really loved and I could get behind. And so I tried my hand at games journalism um, which was incredibly fun, um, but did not pay much. <laughs> and so um, I did a couple of years of that um, and did a little bit of YouTube and, and did mainly my focus was game reviews um, for various sites. And so I got to really deep dive into the industry in from a you know an analytical critique standpoint um, 
And then it got to the point where my family was growing and I needed to do something else, but I still wanted to stay within the industry. Um, and I had no discernible talents other than the ability to speak. Um, and I knew that I couldn't code and I don't, it's something that I didn't really want to get into. So um, the opportunity came along to learn PR and marketing and it's something that I did in previous jobs before. So it was kind of a, a nice fit that I could do something that I'd done before um, and also do it in the industry that I loved. And so the opportunity came and I took it um, and the ability to have our own company. Um, and what we wanted to do was do something that was a little bit different than just having a PR and marketing company. We wanted to create something that we felt was valuable for developers and publishers and everyone in between um, that we felt we, we tried to create an experience whereby, yes, we are an external team, but have the, from a client perspective, we wanted to feel more like an internal team while having the benefits of being an external agency. So you get something along the lines of you have the connections and the experience needed for a really good internal PR person, but you have that, what I think is a really valuable perspective of having an external person come and enter into any given project and have that objective um, outside perspective on a project because I always felt that developers, even with internal PR teams, they can very much get swept up in a development bubble and they struggle to see outside perspectives. So um, that's something that we created. And so far we've been operating now for just over three years. Um, we've done very well in terms of having some really amazing games and some really amazing clients. Um, we've won some really nice prestigious awards, which... I can't take credit for because I have an amazing team behind me. So, yeah. So, even with that right there, and we're I'm already going to jump off off schedule here. What things do you do? Because there's a lot of companies, my my own included, who operate as external teams but need to function as an internal team, or at least near to need to be perceived as an internal team. What specifically do you do? to make the developers and the, and the publishers that you're working with comfortable with you once you get going and really make it feel like you're an internal team versus, you know, this group that sits on the periphery? Well, I think there's a couple of things, right? So, I mean, first, what we try to do is take a really proactive approach in terms of how not only how we do PR and marketing, but how we engage with clients. I mean, you know, you hear stories about, you know, not just PR and marketing companies, but any external companies that you can fall into the trap of. You hire any company for any service and they sit on their hands until you tell them to do something. Um, whereas we try and actively engage our clients because you get clients who are really engaged in the project and the process. And there's also the ones that like to sit back. And so the ones that like to sit back, you can end up with a really wide gap of communication. So what we try to do is really try to um, find opportunities for clients and, and try and get ourselves involved in any of the processes that we can. Um, one of the things we also do is we limit the amount of um, active campaigns that we have at any one time so that we can really devote our full attention to um, the things that we're doing rather than rushing through everything and trying to get everything done. We can really sit down and have the creative time to think about what we want to do for each project in each game 
um, and how best to do that and the best things available for that. Um, so in terms of that, what we and we also try to have a system where in terms of the communication, we like to get involved in how the developers use. So whether that be Discord or Slack, we don't want to just strictly communicate by email because that feels very disjointed and distant. So what I always say is, you know, invite me to your, you know, company Discord or your company Slack chat or whatever it is so that we're always there on hand and you can reach me instantly instead of sending an email and hoping that someone replies in three days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's multiple things aside from that, but those are the major ones. So what do you prefer, Slack or Discord? I like Discord. I do too. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I don't use, Slack is great if you use all their integrations and things like that. But for what, you know, we do at the Power Group, we don't use all those integrations. And so yeah. there wasn't any point in me paying Slack a bunch of money every month, you know, when I could do it on Discord. You know, we have the Discord for the channel and we use it for our internal stuff as well. Um, <clears throat> sorry. All right. So we've already got a question. Scary Robot says, how much ramp up time do you traditionally need to get properly set up? It depends on what the game is. It depends on um, the kind of campaign that, that you're looking for, right? So um, and it depends on what kind of activities you're going to do, because there's ultimately there's going to be like not just the straightforward launch, announce the game and announce the release date. You're looking at things like, do you need a community? Are you doing a Kickstarter? Do you need a com community build up? Um, in which case you're going to start a lot sooner than, say, um, a developer who's got the game ready and is just looking for um, the whole launch experience then you're going to want to start. I mean, I always say you don't want anything less than three months, depending on the game. If you've got a really high quality game that's going to do very well, then you're going to want to maybe start six months out. Now, every game is different. Every game has different content in it. And ultimately, every game has limited PR ammunition, as it were. So you've only got so many bullets that you can throw out that people are going to actually respond to. Um, but at the same time, PR and marketing is ever changing. So, you know, one of the things that worked 10 years ago was you could just send out press releases um, because there wasn't that many games coming out and you could pretty much be guaranteed of a certain amount of exposure. Whereas now, community building and having a really good following behind you is more important than it ever has been because, you know, over 13,000 games are launching on Steam. So, there's multiple different varieties of activities that you can do within PR and marketing that um, depending on what the game is and how you want to approach it, um, it, the timeline can vary a lot. I mean, I've had rush jobs certainly where clients have been like, we've been delayed for months and months and we've only got two months left. And there are things that you can do within a limited timeline for ultimately for best results you're going to want to give as much time as possible um, from our perspective as an agency. From a developer perspective, you really want to start your stuff straight away. I mean, there's no reason why you can't be blogging and um, interacting with the community and doing social media activities from the get-go. Big time from the get-go. Big time from the get-go. A lot of people don't do that as well. They're, they just like... 
wait until the you know they're close to the end of their dev cycle and they're like hey maybe we should market this and that is just not yeah brightest thing to do is it yeah no, yeah and 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 to be fair i mean i do get on developers about not doing social media stuff and community building stuff from the get-go but it is incredibly hard especially if you're an indie and you've maybe got one or two people or a small team it's very hard to find the time and a lot of developers you know they're developers not pr and marketing people and so they struggle with what content do i do is this going to sound wrong? What, you know, and, and because I mean, you know, if I sat down in front of, you know, Unity and tried to code a game from scratch, I'm going to sit there and go, I have no idea what I'm doing. And and social media and PR is very similar for developers. They know what they're doing on Unity. Put them in front of Facebook, though. No clue. Like, I've drawn a blank. And so what I always recommend for indies to do is not to worry about it because, the great thing about social media, if you start from the start, is that you can just practice and get better and better and better. And what I say to people is schedule time to do it. Schedule yourself half an hour every week to sit down and write some tweets and write some Facebook posts and just dedicate your time. Because if you schedule it, then you're not putting yourself out of your development time and you will get better as you as you keep going. All right, so what... I mean, the question coming right out of that, and Rock Knight has a question, but Rock Knight, let me ask this one before I forget it, and then we'll do your question. What content should they create? Um, so the first thing you need to do is is you need to understand your audience because understanding your target audience is ultimately going to pretty much affect everything that you do from a PR and marketing standpoint, and especially on a social media standpoint, right? So if you're creating a game for people between the ages of 20 and 45, then you're going to want to create content that engages those people. You're not going to want to create content that engages a 13-year-old boy, right? So first understand your target audience and research that. And then you want to going to create a variety of content. Now, what I always say to people is what you don't want to do is so say if you've got a new game trailer right and you've just started working on your game and you want to showcase what you're working on and you've got a new trailer to announce the game what you don't want to do is you don't want to take that trailer put it on youtube and then post the link to facebook twitter and whatever else right that's uh, an asset-led approach is what i call it um and that's a bad way to do it because that's a very boring way what you ultimately want to do is you want to create content that evokes emotion engages people so what i say to do is create topics for yourself so say you've got you're going to announce your game um and it's april right so think about what you know so let's let's do february we're in february so let's do okay we're going to do a valentine's day post for valentine's day that maybe we can pull in the game some way we're going to do uh, an ama with the concept artist because the art looks great in the game, so we want to do that. So that's another activity. Uh, we're going to take the trailer that we made and we're going to cut it down into GIFs and small bite-sized videos for Facebook so that we can showcase specific things and we can talk about specific mechanics for the core gamers and for our core audience. And so what you end up with is thinking about a, you know, a topic-led campaign. Is Think about what you want to talk about and then cut it up into multiple bits of content. So, in, so instead, for example, for a trailer, instead of just posting the link 
which is just one piece of content, you end up with multiple pieces of content that stretch much further and then will ultimately engage more people. So um, and in terms of like the types of content, you can do lots of things. Video is really good for Facebook. Twitter, GIFs, um, you can do quizzes, you can do questions, you can do images. As long as the images actually, you know, have something that they can interact with you can ask for opinions you, you know if you've got a large enough following you can even do things where people can send in stuff and you can put it in the game just lots of different things um and you can really the great thing about social media is you can really take a scientific approach to it and so do a different you know do some different types of content and then measure based on the engagement and based on the reach of each post, measure which one works best for your audience. And so you know, oh, that didn't work, but this did work, so we'll do more of this and less of that. And that ultimately will really help you inform the way to go for the rest of the campaign. Look at that. Clean cut, simple, good to go. All right, so let's have, before we ask Rock Doc's question, let me ask this. What give us an idea of some of the games that you've worked with over the last couple of years? <laughs> we've done lots. I mean, we've done everything from Battle Royale to RP. I mean, my favorite stuff to do is like RPGs or story based games. Um, we've done indie games, we've done publisher games, um, we've done console PC, we've done mobile games. Um, so we've done really quite a wide berth of different genres and different platforms. Um, each one we've done, you know, with varying degrees of success, depending on what the game is and um, its targeted uh, goals and stuff like that. Um, one game that I loved doing was um, a couple of years ago was an indie game that was a puzzle platform. Uh, it wasn't a puzzle platform. It was a, a top-down puzzle game um, that incorporated a little bit of strategy. And um, it was a game about... Um, it was basically Final Destination, the top-down puzzle strategy game. Um, and we really had to think... That was a challenge because it was tough to find out how to message it correctly without being misleading um, and, and really trying to educate what the game was so that we didn't run into a situation where people were buying the game and um, then refunding it because it wasn't as described. So... Once we crafted that message, um, it was it was a nice game to play around with in terms of all the different types of social media content we could do because you know you could hit a flower pot off a off a ledge of a three story building and it could land on someone um, and and you could create really and it was all pixel art so it was kind of funny um, so those kind of things we, we you know we've done a, a really wide variety of different types of games. And so what was the most, this is the question, what, what was the most difficult game you had to do PR for? The most difficult game we've had to do PR for? That's a tough one. I mean, I think mobile tends to be the toughest out of the bunch um, because there's very limited um, media presence for mobile games because not many, you know, not many outlets want to touch mobile games, and so what you tend to have to do is you really have to think outside the box in terms of how you're going to get people interested in this. 
because while there is a huge audience for mobile games, because it's one of the biggest in the industry, um, a lot of marketing and PR tends to be focused on straightforward user acquisition campaigns on social media where you just spend X amount of marketing dollars hoping to get X amount of people to click the ad and download the game. Um, so to really generate any kind of critical acclaim for a game, you have to really start thinking in a way that you're not used to with other games because you can't just go, we've announced this game for mobile because nobody cares. And so what you have to think about is, okay, so let's deep dive into the story, right? So is there anything about the developers that is an interesting human interest story? Um, or is there anything about the game that's an interesting thing that um, has never been done before like one of the things that we're starting to help a, a developer work on at the moment is a game that combines strategy and education um, and talks about climate change and so it's almost like a, a tiny more uh, strategy no man's sky almost in terms of you have to go from planet to planet and your sole goal is to create a stable ecosystem without destroying it um and so that's a rough game to sell in terms of how do you just explain that to somebody real easy. Um, and there's not that much, you know, media appetite for that game. So what we had to think about was, well, how can we tie this in to current events? So, oh, climate change is a big thing right now. So maybe we can contact outlets that would not ordinarily be interested in video games at all. And we can tie that into this is how video games are helping educate young people about the environment. And that was the pitch, right? And so that's going to work very well because we're going to get people interested who aren't interested in video games at all talking about the game because the game talks about something um, in the real world. So, yeah, mobile games are tough, but, you know, in today's market with so many games launching, every game is, is tough because to do PR and marketing properly, you have to think outside the normal template of we'll just do what everybody's done for 10 years because you can't do that anymore. So why don't why don't the media outlets like mobile games? It's tough to say. I mean, I think one, it's because not many media outlets play mobile games because they're core, well, core gamers, whatever that means anymore, um, which means they, t they tend to stick to PC and console as their primary platform, whereas the you know most mobile gamers, th there's a large section of mobile gamers in the industry that do not play other games, period. And so the, there is that issue. There is also the issue of Aside from the couple of mobile uh, journalist sites, there isn't a great appetite for mobile games in terms of clicks uh, and in terms of views. And that's ultimately what um, a lot of these sites, not the journalists themselves, but a lot of the sites care about is what content is going to get us the most traffic so that we can serve ads so that we can actually generate a business. Um, and mobile games traditionally don't offer that much traffic and there's not that much appetite about reading the game because mobile games are very very accessible and a lot of them are free so why would you read an article when it takes you three seconds to download you can try it out and then just delete it there's no real need to go whereas you know versus a console or pc game that costs you 60 dollars, you kind of want to read about that before you put 60 dollars down 
Um, so, there's, I mean, there's multiple factors involved in that, but those are pretty big ones. But I mean, it, it all, it is interesting to me that, you know, we have more mobile publishers than we have PC console publisher by far. Developers, I wouldn't necessarily say that same, the whole same thing holds true. And then in terms of end users, far more mobile gamers than PC and console gamers. And yet there's, there's no, there's, there's no real appetite at all on the side. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's it. That I hadn't thought about what you just said, but you know, why would you read an article about something if you can just download it and play it for an hour or 10 minutes or however long, you know, and then again, the flip side of that is there's so many things out there as a gamer on the app store. How do I know what I want to download? That's yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it is a bit of a, a contradiction in that way, but I mean, it, it's it's also to do with the platform, right? So, if you think about how you use a mobile and how you use a PC, those things are very different because with a PC you can have multiple applications up at the same time and switch very easily between them. So, if you're browsing Steam and you want to go see a review on a certain game, you literally just have to click one thing on your taskbar and you're up on Google and you can very easily find it. Whereas in a mobile situation, you know, you're pretty much using mobiles exclusively for social media and games and a couple of other apps. And it's very difficult to then go browse the internet on a mobile phone, you know, view IGN, scroll through IGN, find the thing that you want. It takes so much time to do. It, there's no real ease of use in that way. Whereas with the App Store... You just go in the app store, see the user reviews, download, done. That totally makes sense. All right, we, we've got some other questions popping up. Um, what if you, this is from Nightwolf. What if you have to make major changes or change the game completely? Would that negatively affect your public representation worse than starting PR late into game development? Uh, it, it, that's, very, that's very, very situational. Um, because it ultimately depends on why you had to change the game. Um, did you do something wrong? Um, did you do something <laughs> illegal? <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I don't think it... If it's done correctly and the reasons for the change in the game are, are valid, then oftentimes it can be done in a very good way and it can actually showcase that you care, right? Because if you're changing the game because something doesn't work and you don't want to put out a bad product, um, then you can ultimately explain that very eloquently to a community and the community will often, you know, if it's all about communication in terms of media, they'll understand in terms of communication with the gamers. If you explain why you're doing it, the good reasons behind it, oftentimes they'll go, yeah, that's totally understandable. Look forward to it. Go get to work. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it is very situational. Right. So. All right. Let's see. There, there's another question as well. Um, from Shemrania, where do I go to get my first few community Basically, what I have is content, but no followers to see it. Um, again, that that can vary depending on what the game is and who your target audience is. Um, one of the great ways to use social media is to share content around various, you know, video game pages and. Um, you know, just connect with a few people. And, you know, when people do comment, 
actually take the effort to engage them. Um, one of the great ways, I mean, Discord is really, it's aside from, you know, the invention of social media, Discord, for, in terms of the video game industry, is really quite the revolution in communication. And so if you your game is a certain genre of game, then go find Discords and, and, and video game communities that play those types of games and start talking to people. Don't go in there going, hey, look at my game, okay? Because that just upsets everybody and nobody cares. But go and talk to you know, engage in some communities. And then when the opportunity is right, once you've established yourself in that community and you've got to know a few people, talk to, then bring up, hey, I'm making this game. Would you be interested in checking it out? And then invite them to your community and just grow it up from there. And then as you as you get more and more people in um, and as you engage that community more, then hopefully a couple of those people will turn into really big fans and, and what I like to call brand ambassadors. And they'll start, pushing and bringing more people in and it kind of builds into a sm- snowball effect of snowball going down the mountain in theory so is there a good place to go online to find those discord communities that are good that you know that are good for you there's a couple of websites that have uh, listings of discords um so what what i would probably do if i didn't know how to do it is probably go on one of those websites look for similar games and then join some of those discords and join some of those similar communities and and just use that as groundwork right i mean there's no quick solution right there's no like five minute fix it's going to take a little bit of research and a little bit of effort but you know just doing simple things like that is a good starting point do you do you have those websites handy i do not but i can get them for you all right. Well, let's see. We got some other questions. Uh, what about influencers for mobile game PR? There's lots. There's lots. There's um, tons on YouTube. Right. Like, tons yeah, on I mean, YouTube. There's there are tons, um, but you have to be aware of that particular section of the industry. So, unless your game is very very good. And I mean, it's very high quality, it's very engageable, it's very playable, and people love it from start to finish. It's going to be incredibly difficult to convince mobile game influencers to play the game because oftentimes those influencers are engaged heavily by paid promotions. Um, And you'll all see this, no doubt, when you've um, watched a couple of these YouTubers, they get a lot of paid sponsorships from, you know, um, Clash Royale and all the big... Heavy hitters. And that's not little money either. That's it's not little. It's I mean you're talking big money. So um, it's certainly you know worth in that respect. I would say if you're looking to do an influencer campaign of that size and, and you're going to target those people, you're either going to need one, you're going to need an influencer marketing budget to pay influencers to play it, which or you're going to want to money, which which is a, an incredible ton of money, or you're going to want to engage. Uh, a PR and marketing agency or internal PR and marketing person that has existing connections to those people who know who they know them personally and professionally to be able to you know contact them and and talk to them about the game. Um, what you want to avoid is is just sending an email out the blue saying check out my game um, because those emails are not even going to get read at all. 
No, at all. Is there a secret sauce to an email header to get influencers and media to actually open your email? Secret sauce? I wish there was. That'd be great. If you let me, if you find one, let me know. Um, <laughs> I can't. Then it'd be. A, it wouldn't be a secret anymore. It takes. Truthfully, it just takes practice and time. Um, there's no great secret to, to PR and marketing, right? It's just uh, expertise and um, experience and creativity. Um, one of the, the process that I use is that I develop seven different email headers. And then I slowly go through them with other people and whittle it down to maybe two or three um and then i try to make them as catchy as possible try to make them you know fun and engaging and something that's going to pop out uh, among the hundreds of other emails that send and then what i want to do is i want to test them out so let's say you know let's say you're going to send to 150 influencers on a thursday then tuesday i'm going to send 20 i'm going to send one email with one email header to 10 and the second email with the second email header to another 10 and then see which one gets the best open rate and then i'll use the best open rate for the rest all right so yesterday when you and i were talking you mentioned that you use hubspot so is that what you're using to send the emails and do that a b testing uh, it, sometimes, yes. Um, there are cheaper options, though. I mean, for an indie, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, mail senders that you can use to do that. I mean, MailChimp does a really good A-B test. Like, a MailChimp, I love using MailChimp for A-B testing because it's got an inbuilt A-B tester in there. So you can just select, when you go to create a campaign, you can just select A-B testing, and then it's going to give you the, the walk you through the options of doing that. Um, but you can, you know... You can do it multiple different ways of, of tracking that. I mean, if, if you really, there's lots of different free, um, I mean, MailChimp's free for under 3,000 contacts anyway. So I would probably use that as the, if, if you're pushed for software. Right, it, so tell me if this, you know, I'm always reluctant to send biz dev or promotion type emails through MailChimp, and I usually only use it for our newsletter because I know years ago there was a stigma along with that. If you sent someone a just basic email or whatever email that that wasn't part of a newsletter via MailChimp, like you know, if you're sending and sending your game out to publishers or sending it out to uh, influencers, it, there's always a negative stigma when it says it's obvious it got sent through MailChimp. Is that still the case or is promoting your game almost like cold emails through MailChimp more accepted now? Uh, it's more, it's, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say it's more accepted. It's definitely more done. Um, but there are ways to do it that improve your chances, right? So what I do is first off, I don't, my, my, when I send an email through MailChimp, it doesn't come from a MailChimp server. It comes from my server. So I set it up in a way that it comes from, 
you know, Vicarious PR versus, you know, uh, MailChimp at server, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then, you, you know, really spend time with your template, email templates. So for, for a simple, straightforward text email, I'm not going to use a traditional MailChimp template. I'm just going to use a plain text template so it comes across like a normal email versus, you know, centered and in a box and looking like a newsletter email, right? Um, and then what I do is I spend time really researching the people that I'm emailing and really delving into, you know, what they like. And, and so when I create my lists of contacts, I have multiple different pieces of information that I can try and uh, customize that email with. And so and what MailChimp allows you is, is merge tags, where basically a piece of information you can put in a merge tag and it's going to pull that information from the list depending on who the person is so for example if i'm sending um let's say one of the pieces of information for each influencer is the last video that they made right and so i want to mention in my email that i watched their last video because i did so what i'm going to do is i'm going to put in one of the boxes on the list i'm going to type in the, the last video that they made and then in the email i'm going to say hey i really enjoyed your last video and then put the merge tag in and it's going to say what the last video was. And there's ways to customize it to feel less robot-y, right? Because you don't want to end up with a situation where you're feeling like this is an email that you've sent to everybody else and it has no relevance to me. So the more that you can personalize that email, um, the better success that you're going to have. And so, I mean, I really put a lot of time and it, it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort to really customize and personalize it because you're going to have to research every single contact. But that time pays off in the long run because, you know, when I was a journalist, I appreciated when someone had actually read my material and made a comment. So that's not always the case, right, with influencers, but the the more you can personalize that email and make it less like a template, the better. It's also like um, you can send out 50 emails, you know what I mean, that are just copy and paste and maybe get one response. And sure, you can send out those 50 emails like that, or you can spend a whole day or a few hours and send out five emails and more than likely get three to four responses. And it just it just makes way more sense. I mean, even in yeah. other stuff that I do, it's like if I take the time and write a completely personal email with maybe just a little bit of copy and paste of pertinent information, uh, I get way better responses than if just sending out a blanket. Here you go, blam to everybody. For yeah, sure. and, and, and it's situational. It ultimately depending it depends on what what you're trying to get them to do, um, what you're trying to tell them. Um, but the more personalized and, and researched your email can be, the better. Um, and, you know, when it comes to large campaign outreaches, for example, when it comes to you want people to review your game, that's going to take a lot of time. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. Um, and there's a lot of work involved. And, and But it ultimately, you know, the more that you put in, the more that you get out. And that's a rule for everything. So, And it's better to get a... Uh, uh... 50 to 60% response rate on five emails than it is to get a 1% response rate on 100, for sure. Yeah. So, one of the things that we talked about yesterday as well was, you know, just simply how many PR firms there are. How, 
how do you know which ones are, are worth working with and how which ones don't just suck? Yeah, I mean, for first glance, it's it's tough to tell that, right? Um, one one of the things that you have to do is is just hold interviews like you would if you were holding a job, right? Because ultimately, you want to you know, there's multiple different PR companies. They all do different things. They all have different approaches. They all have different people. They all have different backgrounds. And so you really want to gonna interview the people that you want to hire because ultimately it's a lot of money and it's a lot of faith that you're putting in them. Um, so one of the telltale signs is, right, is that if they're not invested in your game, probably don't want to go with them because the best work I find is done when I'm passionate about one of the projects. And so what we as a company try to do is we try to very carefully select who our clients are and who are, who the games are so that we can get behind them 100% in, you know, everything that we do. So, that, you know, we treat their games like they're ours. Um, so, you know, things like, does the person want to play your game? That's usually a big giveaway, right? So if, if, if you contact a PR company and um, they just send you a pricing list. That's probably a, a no-go um, because you need someone who's going to be with you 100% of the way. And um, it's really important to spend the time interviewing the people, talking to them, getting a sense of what they, who they are, what they're about. Um, you want to look for a company that's hungry and, and wants to work and wants to you know, care about you. Because, I mean, one of the things that I really prize our company on is that we don't just care about the one project, right? We care about our clients and their businesses, and we want to help them develop those businesses and get a bigger brand profile and be more successful because I'm not interested in one-offs. I'm looking for people who come back time and time again and to have long-term relationships with so that we can grow in success together. Um, so if, you know, you contact a company and they just say, oh yeah, it's this amount of money and that's that, then you don't want to go there. And, and it sounds very basic, but that's true. I mean, it, it, you're going to get much more passion out of that partner if they like your game and they enjoy playing it themselves. Not only can they speak more intelligently about it, but they're going to do a better job for you because they're actually, you know, emotionally invested in the game, not just financially invested in it. Yeah. I mean, and there's multiple other things, right? So um, you want to, you want, you know, look at, always ask for a proposal, right? So always ask things like, can you send me a proposal? Of, and they're not going to tell you everything that they're going to do because that would be silly, but you want to get a sense of where they're going, what they're thinking of doing, right? Because if they send you a proposal that just says, hey, we're going to launch this, what does that mean, right? <laughs> um, that doesn't mean anything. And, and you know, one of the things that we like to do as a company is that we try to set very clear, measurable goals for our campaigns so that you can see we did our job or not, right? Because what I don't want to end up in a situation is where I'm just sending you a spreadsheet of... of um, links to articles because that does you no favors that offers you no insight into 
how successful the campaign was, what the audience reach of the campaign was, how many people saw those articles, what are those articles worth, what is the content within those articles, are those articles positive or negative? Like, there's so much information that needs to be analyzed and, and pulled out of the coverage that you receive. And so, you know, look for things like that. What are they, what are the activities are they going to do? What reporting are they going to do? Um, what's the communication like? How, you know, are they genuinely excited when they talk to you or are they um, kind of thinking about other things? Because, you know, there's companies like mine who limit our clients and our campaigns so that you know you're going to be getting 110% effort every single time or there's companies who just take as many on as possible. And so where are you going to be on that order, right? Because they have a lot of clients and I imagine there's some clients who pay a lot more money than you do. So where are you going to be on that pecking order? Who's going to be looking after you, your, your, your account, right? Because in, in my company, what we do is we're all hands-on. We don't hire interns or anything like that. So we're all engaged. And so when you speak to me at a consult, you're going to be speaking to me the day after as well. And you're not going to be shipped off to, you know, some guy who's, it's his first week on the desk. Um, so you want to be sure who's actually working on your account, because in my opinion, when you come with a PR company, you're paying for my experience uh, and my contacts, not some interns. Um, so there's multiple things that you want to be checking uh, when you know, trying to engage. And that goes not just for PR and marketing, it goes for any third-party service provider. Um, you know, make sure that you are happy with who they are and what they're offering um, rather than just thinking about, um, you know, and, and, and be wary of, I would say this, yes, your game can be very successful, but be wary of people who promise too much. Because... Promising too much is a real easy thing to do in any industry. Um, so, and, and, and it's always really nice to hear when people say, I love your game. It's going to sell 100,000 copies. We're going to, you know, going to make the big bucks. Be wary of that, right? You know, when clients talk to me, I say, listen, I really enjoy your game as a game. I think it's fantastic. We're going to work as hard as possible to try and make it as successful as possible. But there are no guarantees here, Right the market might not like this. The market might turn around and, you know, we might, it just might, might not happen because sometimes you have some great games that just don't work commercially. Um, so be wary when, when people promise you the world, uh, there's no, it's good to set goals that are hard to achieve because you have to work hard to achieve them. But, you know, let's not try and be the next fortnight. Okay. <laughs> The, uh, along with that, I mean, you, you brought up a very good point of, you know, if you're working with one of these bigger groups, you're not the only one paying the money, and there's probably some people paying them a lot more money. You know, one of the things that I always caution folks about, and this goes for for PR, for you know, for biz dev, for any sort of you know outside consultant firm, whatever, you know. They'll come to me and say, well, do you do stuff on RevShare? And we don't do things on RevShare. Everything that we do at the Power Group is retainer or project fee-based. But you have to be careful when you're working with somebody on a RevShare or a commission basis because what do you think is going to happen to your priority list 
when another client comes in who's actually paying them five, 10 grand a month, you know, right. you're going to get bumped off of that list pretty quickly. Yeah, um, I mean, rev shares, rev shares are a free thing. So I have certainly done rev shares in the past for, for certain clients. It's not something that I, I offer everybody. It's only for really projects that I think, um, you know, for, for people who are in real struggle and, um, you know, one of the, it's one of the benefits of owning a business, right? Is that kind of, you know, if I want to be charitable, I can be charitable in that way. Um, but we set very specific limitations on, on, on rev share. And, and it's something that we don't do without a deposit as well. Um, so yes, rev, and, and from a developer perspective, I, what I always get is I get a lot of people say, do you do rev share? Because I feel like if you had skin in the game, you would do a much better job. Oh my God. Yes. They always <laughs> get that. Right. And let me tell you, that is in no way true. No. Do you know what it just guarantees? It just guarantees I can, you know, not me personally, but in in a hypothetical situation, it guarantees that that PR and marketing person can sit on their ass for six months and then just take your money. That's all it guarantees. Literally, right? So having skin in the game um, in that way is not always um, a motivator. Um what motivates us as a company is our reputation, right? So we want a, re a stellar reputation in, in both developers and media, and we want to try and um, help people and help the industry and move forward and have, you know, have real passion behind everything that we do. Um, but that isn't for everybody. That isn't everybody in the industry, right? So I, I understand that thought process of rev share means that you're going to work harder, but in, in reality, that is just not true. I mean, you can offer rev share, and that's not just for PR and marketing. That's true for developers, right? Like, I could be a coder that you hire to do a little bit of work for a rev share, and I could pretty much do nothing under a contract um, yeah. and just do the bare minimum, and then I'm entitled to your I'm entitled to revenue share. So, be careful with that thought process because it doesn't often work out like you think it works out. I had a company come to us recently and, and very well-funded company. I mean, they're not a developer. They're not a publisher. They, they are not short on, on revenue. And, you know, the, the CEO said, well, I, you know, I don't like it when people say that they don't want to work on, on rev share commission because it tells me that they're not that engaged. And I said, well, I don't like it when people ask me to work for free, which is basically, <laughs> you know, what you're, asking us to do, you know, it's the same amount of work, whether it, it's, P, you know, if you're doing it right, it's the same amount of work, whether it's PR or biz dev or, or whatever, that you're going to be spending on a paid deal versus a rev share deal. And I'm with you, you know, there are, you know, situations where we've sat down and, and done rev share deals as well. And I spent the first eight years of my career as an agent, and that's all we did was you know commissions and rev shares but you know it's not a situation that that people think is so lovely when it's like oh well you're gonna do a whole lot of work when you know you get a piece of it too it's like yeah well i'm gonna do a whole lot of work for those companies that are paying me every month as well so um anyway yeah derailed there so what do let's look at the market in general because this is one of the things that you brought up what is the market out there look right look like right now for for indie games and for getting your word out it's rough i mean it's hard grueling work um 
you know, more games are launching than any other time in our industry. Every year, year on year, massive increases. I mean, this last year was what thirteen thousand games on Steam alone. The year before was like what eight thousand, something like that. So, I mean, we're we're jumping thousands of thousands of games every single year, and that means on a daily basis, we're we're having you know average you know in terms of averages average games launching per day we're running into very high numbers per day so in terms of exposure it's never been more harder to get exposure um especially if you're developing on pc um because you know if you can if you don't get a good enough traffic and traction on launch you can pretty much guarantee that within 30 minutes your game is pretty much buried on steam that's it I mean, there are ways to get around that and, and claw back from that, but it's very, very difficult. Um, and so what concerns me as a trend, especially with indies, is thinking that, oh, I can leave this till last minute. I can leave the PR marketing till a month away or a couple of weeks away. I can, you know, I can do it myself. You know, DIY PR and marketing now is, you know, not saying, you know, there are obviously outliers, but do you really have the time to do what I do full time as a full time job because development is full time. So where, where are you also going to do a second full time job? Um, that whole process and that whole thinking is, is very, very um, worrying because it shows when a developer says to me that I'm going to do it by myself or I'm just going to wait until, uh, you know, a couple of weeks from launch that shows me that you do not have an understanding of your market. It shows a clear lack of understanding because if you knew how competitive it is out there, um, even for, you know, really well-funded PR campaigns, it is really tough. You know, media, are, you know, just competing with Fortnite is tough from a AAA standpoint. That's like really tough because, you know, especially, you know, think six months ago, Fortnite is at peak uh, peak popularity any given day on various you know really well-known websites out of the 10 articles on that front page you can guarantee that four to six of them are going to be about Fortnite. so the rest of us are competing for those like four or five that's left the scraps of the table so where it is and that's all the other PR companies and all the other trained industry professionals who are working at EA internal departments, Ubisoft's internal departments. So you tell me where your DIY and PR marketing is going to come into into that play because it's rough. It's it's a rough place to be. And so it's not undoable by any stretch of the imagination, but um, thinking about PR and marketing like it was even two years ago is just completely wrong now. I mean, you can't do the things that people were doing two years ago because they don't work anymore because the market changes so quickly. And so you you really have to think outside of the box. And I think that, you know, it, I always ask indie developers when I do trade shows and do talks at shows, um, you know, what do you want? Do you want a game company or do you want um, a passion project? Which are you making? Because if you're making a passion project, then it doesn't really matter how well your game does. But if you're trying to make a company, then you have to think about it like a company and actually invest in actually selling the game, 
because making the game is only half of the work, really. Um, you have to sell it. And so it's important to start from the get-go now, especially as, a developer, as an indie, to think about your business and to think about where you want to get to and think about, okay, what am I going to allocate as a monetary budget for my PR and marketing campaign? Because I have to get exposure if this is to be successful. So, yeah. And that's what we see too. It's, you know, they, it's not necessarily due to arrogance or ignorance or, or any one particular thing, but you know, marketing is something that we see very often get pushed off to the very end. And then, you know, we get a note that says, Hey, um, my game launches next week. Can you help us with marketing? No, probably not. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but but it's not gonna it's not gonna work like that. So, um, and, and I saw. Oh, so Rock Knight uh, asked earlier, "Do you work with publishers as well?" Yes. Yeah, I worked with um, I work with uh, everyone from indies to triple A's um, and everyone in between. So you know, mid-sized publishers, small publishers, publishers just starting. Um, I've worked with a lot of different ones. And the next, would you say that high quality games also have an incredible increase of games released or is the increase not it? Wait, hold on, I completely got lost in that message. Would you say that high quality games also have an incredible increase of games released or the increase is not as thousands of years? So I assume you're saying as more games increase, are there also more high quality games? Is that what I think that's what that is? I think that, yeah, um, I think that, I think that's just a... So yes, there are more high quality games than there has, has ever been before, as well as the shovelware that comes with um, that. Um, what we did as a company a couple of months back is that we took a, a vertical slice of um, Steam launches within a month and looked at um, what types of games we're releasing all throughout the month to, to basically determine the true state of how many games are releasing on Steam every month. Um, and so what we did is we took all the games released on each day and then sifted out what I would deem shovelware or games that just aren't of any kind of quality. And we were still left with anywhere between five and ten what I would consider good games per day. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's more than ever before. And, and that, uh, you know, a lot of what you hear is Steam is so overcrowded. And the reason is because of, of cheap, shitty shovel, shovelware. But that's not the case. I mean, yeah, there is a lot of cheap shovelware out there. Sure. But there's also a lot of really good games getting released. Yeah. I mean, th yeah, that's, I mean, that's very true. I mean, it's very much the case. There is a lot of crap on Steam. Um, and increasingly so but there is also an an amount of indie games that a couple of years ago even a couple of years ago would have been considered a really good game um that is now considered mediocre because of the sheer amount of them being released um so yeah it's getting more and more competitive for certain so what are you playing right now i mean not like right now because obviously you're fully focused on the show but you know in general right now in general, uh, I've been playing. Oh, been play, I've been playing Apex a lot more than I would like to admit, because um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Respawn. And I, I, you know, EA aside, um, I, I 
really wanted those guys to have a win, especially from the disappointments of Titanfall, because for me, Titanfall is probably and Titanfall Two is probably one of the greatest FPSs of all time, um, and was far superior to anything that launched in those years. Um, but for some reason, people didn't pick it up as well as they should because Call of Duty and whatever else. Um, so I'm really pleased that those guys have taken the the core mechanics of the you know especially the gunplay of Titanfall and created something that is wildly popular. Um, so I'm playing that. I'm playing a couple of RPGs uh, on the side. Um, I actually sat down and tried out Persona Five for the first time because I've been that, that's been on my shelf for like over a year. <laughs> I've never been able to sit, find the time, um, and I've been ta- playing uh, Tales of Vesperia, the re-release, the definitive edition, because that was one of my favorite all-time RPGs. Um, and I've been playing a couple of Warhammer 40k games because I'm a big Warhammer fan. Um, so yeah, that's pretty. What much. about Total War games? I'm a huge Total War fan. Huge. Um, I, I would. I'm embarrassed to show people my Steam library of how many hours I have sank into Total War games. Oh, it, yeah, it, is, it is. It's obscene. Um, you know. You know. I've missed missed children growing up for Total War. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, no, I mean, I'm. I love Total War. I'm excited for the new one coming out um, because I've seen some of the mechan- the new mechanics in that. Um, especially the, the the general duels that they're bringing in. So, I, I am ashamed to say I haven't even bought the second one because I don't feel like I've accomplished everything in the first one that I should have by now. I just complete. I think a month ago I completed a new for Total War Warhammer Two. I completed a, the first Mortal Empires campaign. I played as Empire, and I that took me I think about eighty hours. Yeah. And only ten, you know, ten hours of that was probably loading times into battles. Yeah, speaking of lot, I played Anthem on launch for loading times. That that game is a. Uh, I love Bioware. I love Bioware, but that game is rough. But I was disappointed. All right, and, and so this is one of the things that that bothers me because I'm I'm with you. I I like and I play a lot of the same games you, and. You know, coming out of E3, everybody was all hyped up and talking about Anthem, and it's this new big single RPG, single player RPG narrative, blah, blah, blah. And it's like Destiny to me. There's not much story. Mm-hmm. They just want me to go to these areas and, and and grind out for gear again. That, to me, is not, yeah, not what I, I mean, was thinking. I'm super looking forward to Dragon Age, the next Dragon Age and Mass Effects that they bring out. I think people were too hard on Mass Effect Andromeda. I mean, there were clear, distinctive problems with the game, but I think overall, as an overall package, it was actually quite a, a, a well-done game. Um, for Anthem, though, Anthem, I feel like, is one of those games that is a very much a spreadsheet game. Like, someone sat down and made a list of all the things that they would like in their next game, and then made that game without considering how each specific uh, mechanic and each specific uh, different gameplay aspect fitted together. And so what ends up happening is you have a game that feels very disjointed um, because you have like the single player Fort Tarsis experience that doesn't connect with the actual gameplay and then they promise like an, this, there's this open world thing but you can't actually do main missions in the open world because you have to go to a different screen and then you have the whole 
gear progression that doesn't it feels less like an RPG and feels more like a looter shooter. Yeah. And then you have an added on player hub that offers no real kind of interactivity with any other player. And so it feels like very different aspects of different games pulled together into something that doesn't um it doesn't just it doesn't work well together at all and and what you end up with is 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 a disjointed mess. All right, so we're I love doing this and I wish I had like all day to sit here and do this, but I can't. We're already, you know, past our one o'clock point. But let's talk about the reality of the situation. The reality is a lot of devs, a lot of indie devs in particular out there don't have don't have the money to put into marketing and PR. What can those developers do to help support their game and get the word out there? If going to an agency just simply isn't an option. Yeah, I mean, ultimately that is a reality, and there's no easy fix for that. Um, you know, if you can scrounge up, you know, it's a tough one. So, to do DIY PR and marketing, it's gonna it, ultimately it requires research and a lot of time and effort to do it properly. Right, because it's not something that you can do half assed Because doing it half assed will have unforeseen negative consequences that may affect you later down the line. So, if you do it, for example, half assed and you contact a bunch of journalists and you don't, you know, you're not correct with them, or you know, you do it too, you're not professional enough with it, and you do it too personal because it's, you know, your personal project, and you say something wrong or you insult somebody that can have lasting consequences to you and your company that will never go away. Um, the best thing to do is to create create a community on social media. So do social media and Discord and try and create a following for your game that allows you to tap a base of players on launch that are instantly going to go buy your game. Don't make the mistake. I see so many indie developers do this. Don't give out keys for free, okay? I understand that you want your fans and your followers to like you, but those are the people who are going to actually buy your game. So why are you giving them free keys to go play your game and leave nice reviews? Don't do that, okay? The one, the, the, the group of people who will actually like your game and actually want to give you their money and you're giving your, your keys away for free, don't do that. Um... Create a community as big as you can. Uh, engage that community on a regular basis. And so you have a, a bunch of people to tap on launch. Then in terms of, you know, the PR side of things and, and media and media relations, um, the first thing you probably want to do is you want to define your game, right? So you want to sit down and work out what is your elevator pitch for your game? What is the short sentence, two sentences that tells me exactly what your game is helps me visualize it and get me excited about it instantly. Now this isn't this is easier said than done and the best way to craft that is to come up with different variations and test it out on people. So if you can go to any local um, game conferences or any local events where you can showcase your game to people, test it out on people and see what their reaction is and just use a methodology to, to try and really refine that. And then, you know, what I wouldn't do, I wouldn't send out, you know, if you're doing DIY indie PR, 
Don't send out press releases. There's very little. Research people, influencers and media who have played similar games to the game that you're making. Identify your unique selling points of that game. Find out what's going to get people excited, what's different about it. And then contact those people in an email. Don't make it too long. Just pitch it, right? Say, hey, you know, we've got this game. It's a, it's elevator pitch. It's this, 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 this. Here's some cool things about it. Here's a screenshot or a trailer. Take a look. Um, and you know, just really spend the time to to develop that messaging because that's really key. If you go into a situation where you're trying to get attention from media and influencers and you don't really explain what your game is very well and you haven't put the time in to do that, then how are they supposed to know? Right? What you know, because they need to make a snap judgment decision on their end, right? They need to open that email because they they're super busy, they've got deadlines, they've got multiple projects going along. They need to make a snap judgment on whether they're gonna spend you know the next 10 minutes actually thinking about scheduling in your game so you have a very limited window in order to grab their attention so the more effort and research that you put into crafting that message uh, the better it will do for you um and you know it's one of those things where just try and be polite as possible with people um if people say bad things about your game don't say bad things about them <laughs> as a general rule it's usually a sorry <laughs> like, I know that that is so true but just the, you know, the way that you said take, that just take it take it on the chin right it's you know people, yeah, some people aren't like going to like it developers have committed virtual game suicide by doing yeah just take it on the chin um, and move on right no game is perfect your game isn't perfect um, and try to, you know, especially if you're doing DIY PR marketing, really try and separate yourself from the game that you're making because you're going to want to try and look at it objectively and, and people are going to say bad things about your game. So, you know, try and look at it from a professional standpoint versus a, a personal, you know, I've put three years of my life into this. Why are you hurting me so bad? Don't, don't think of it like that. It's like Andy's Andy's crew's getting getting excited on his end. Right, and so I just put a link in chat. You know, it's imperative, and we gloss over this because it it's the basics. But then we have to remember that the basics are why we do this show. You have to have a press kit, and yeah. folks over at the Indie Game Database IGB IGDB yeah they do a really com, good have and you make a game page on there, and boom, you have a press kit. And it's yeah. fantastic. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of that first email, make sure that you make sure the journalist or the influencer doesn't have to go and research, right? Make sure everything is there. Make it easy for them. Because if they have to go and research, then they're just not going to be interested because it's too much time. Make sure that, that everything is accessible. So, have a link to your press kit, have a link to your website, have a link to the Steam page, have a link to your social medias, uh, and, and don't make them work for it. All right, so if you've got questions, fire them out now. We're going to have to roll shortly, about the next 10 or 15 minutes. Um, in the meantime, 
you know, once again, our awesome new setup, thanks to Roleplay with Friends. So down below, you know, we have our, a real honest to God indie game business Facebook page now. Um, so you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, our YouTube channel not only has the archive of all of these shows, but, you know, we also go in there and add conference lectures that are publicly available uh, that have to do with with the business side or the marketing side. So you can literally go to our YouTube page and there is a playlist of lectures and conference, you know, talks based on indie game marketing. And so it's all right there. One nice little neat thing for you. Um, the, sorry, I got completely derailed by Zed Kick's message. Don't forget as well, if you haven't got a ticket, go ahead and get a ticket for our Indie Game Business online micro-conference. We put this together for developers, publishers, media, influencers, all of those folks can come together and you don't have to pay thousands of dollars, you know, to go out to GDC or one of the other big shows every year. You know, you can simply go to IndieGame.Business and check it out. The show's coming up on the 15th and 16th of April. You don't have to go anywhere. You just need your laptop, a headphones, a shirt would be good since you're going to be on video, but pants are completely optional. That's up to you. You be you. Uh, tickets start at just like 85 bucks because we want to keep it nice and simple and affordable for all those indie devs out there. Um, so yeah, any questions pop up? Anything else you want to touch on, Michael? No, happy to answer anything. Nothing you need. This has been good. Good info. I like this. So anyway, um, and Zepkick says, I work for a video game website, and the number one way for me to ignore your email is if it's really long and doesn't include anything of substance. Yeah, short and sweet. That, yeah. one, that, that goes for business. People write, and... like, books about stuff and how oh, their passion for something. And, I mean, that's... When you're, when you're sorting through freaking 100 emails a day, you don't care about that. You want, like, a few paragraphs. A few paragraphs, just, just maybe some video, email. you know... Open up that email to a wall of text makes me, you know, just kind of cringe. Yeah, a, a really good template to follow is um, have your intro. And so your intro is a really good way of saying, hey, um, I love your work on this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm this. And then intro your game. And then have like an image or a hook. So like a, a screenshot or... Um, uh, a trailer link or something like that and then have an outro link where it's like an, uh, sorry an outro paragraph where it's like if you would like more information you can go get it here 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 thanks very much that's it so two paragraphs a trailer and image and that's really all you need because all you need to say is hey love your thing this is my game elevator pitch this is what it's about this is what makes it different if you want information email me back or go here and that's really that's all you need you and don't pretty need much that way for that. content creators too because i get a lot of emails or messages asking me to like will you play my game and it's just like this big long story which honestly i don't read the whole story a lot of times and but if it's short i'll read it and if it's short and interesting i'll even read it yeah. i'll even read it better <laughs> 
don't know what I don't know what she's seen outside, but she's she's obviously after something. Uh, my buddy Larry Cooperman mentioned, and I think this is going around the internet. You know, a good template for an intro email is from the Princess Bride. My name is Inigo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepared to die. This is who I am. This is why it's relevant. This is the action item. Yeah. It's pretty simple, right there. Yeah, there's a really cool. There's a there's a marketing model called the uh, Ada model, and you can just Google it. Um, and the Ada model is a really good way to follow it, right? So it's uh, you just just follow that straight down. Um, and you'll be able to craft a, a, a straightforward email template that Ader, like Ader, the company, A D E A D A D I A, and uh, that's a really good way of keeping everything within scope, so you don't waffle on about your life story. Because um, if ultimately, if they want to hear your life story, they'll ask you afterwards. <laughs> but don't tell them beforehand. <laughs> you know, th- think about it. You meet in the street, right? You're not going to shake someone's hand and then all go, go straight into what you've been doing for 20 years. Like <laughs> that's like a thing in the South. You know, we'll say, "Hey, how are you doing?" We don't really want to know. We don't. We don't care. It's just a greeting. It's like don't start in, into a five to a minute dissertation on how you've really been. I was just kind of saying, "Hey." So, all right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it, man. It's always you are welcome anytime. Uh, you can find Michael on. Do you got? Do you guys have your own Discord server or? No, I don't. Okay, well, you can find him on ours. There's the, there's the be, list yeah. right there. He'll be around. If you've got questions, send them to us. Send them to Michael. You know, we are here to help. At the end of the day, um, and with that, I think we're gone because I got a dog that needs to go out now. Oh. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.